I have been asked for an update on the nuns of Fairfield, as well as the nuns from Philadelphia, if you'll recall. That's a story where some nuns, for mysterious reasons at the time, decided to leave right after Mass, pack up their things, head into their vans, and go back to their home. We'll go into that more in a moment. Today I have an update of sorts, and it brings us to a central question. Is Francis a disciple of Martin Luther? I know it sounds ridiculous on the surface. His antipathy towards cloistered religious life is more than a little reminiscent of Martin Luther. And as we'll see today, it's not only French commentators on YouTube or with podcasts that are asking this question. So let's have a look at the hard question of our day and the fate of the Carmelites of Philadelphia. In June, before Traditionis Custodis was released, news went out across the Catholic commentary world of a group of Carmelite nuns out of Philadelphia that suddenly, without warning, packed their things up into vans and moved from Philly back to their original location in Nebraska. And many were mystified as to what had happened, and we didn't get much clarity on that. Now we have an update of what happened, and in hindsight it won't surprise anyone really. It's just more of Francis and his minions' war against the traditions of the church. These Carmelites had been and still are dedicated to sacred tradition, a cloistered life of contemplative prayer, and yes, the traditional liturgy of the Roman Rite, the traditional Latin Mass that goes back at least as far as St. Gregory the Great in the 6th century, a form of the liturgy that modernists and Satan seem to hate so much that they are willing to risk everything to suppress it. Now we have an update. LifeSite published a long-form article about their situation, including some background on the nuns and the like. I'm going to focus here on the update that is given. Back in June, the Carmelites in Philadelphia fled the city as if they were fleeing a swarm of locusts or an approaching storm. According to LifeSite, quote, The Carmelite nuns described the events in a June 19th letter to their friends as follows. For many years, the Philadelphia Carmel had been part of an association. When our nuns arrived, it was assumed that withdrawing from this association would be a small matter. After all, the nuns had been invited by the community and by the Archdiocese of Philadelphia with a clear understanding that they were part of a young, thriving, dedicated order who loved the extraordinary form of the Mass and the time-honored traditions of the Discalced Carmelites. As attempts were being made to not only interfere with, but to obstruct their way of life, the nuns tried one way after another to gracefully bow out of this pre-existing commitment. When it became painfully clear that the freedom to maintain their identity, as originally promised by the Archdiocese, was not being honored, the only option left to the nuns was to return to the monastery in Valparaiso, Nebraska. They did this in the most correct way possible, fulfilling all canonical requirements. As it becomes clear, the archdiocese would rather allow the Carmel of Philadelphia to be shut down than to encourage the development of a traditional community of Carmelite nuns. According to one source close to the situation, the Mother Superior, who is still in Philadelphia, has now requested from Rome that the monastery be preserved as a house of prayer, so that at some future point Carmelite nuns could come and renew the monastery. End quote. All that sounds fine, but if you're like me, then you know that reaching out to Rome prior to this alleged pontificate would be the right and just thing to do, but in our time it's like a lamb presenting itself to the butcher. The Mother Superior appealed to Rome under the assumption that they would receive fair treatment at the hands of the Bergolian syndicate running the show, the St. Gallen Club whose antipathy for tradition has since been all too clear. Quote, but there are plans to suppress and plunder the monastery in the words of one source, and this agenda is being led by Bishop Fitzgerald. Mother Superior is trying to forestall this plan and reached out to Rome. It is in this context that the Vatican intervened more expressly. In early September, Father Rafael Wachowski, who works under Carl Jao Braz de Aviz, the head of the Congregation for Religious, responded and said that a visitation would be planned. 
The source continued, At the recent visitation, which took place at the end of September, before the visitation of the Fairfield Monastery, Mother chose to explain the plans to preserve the sacred monastery in the hope that the Holy See will cooperate. The Vatican representative stated that it is the plan of the Vatican to suppress the monastery. End quote. The bishop and his men in Philadelphia also spread vicious rumors about the Mother Superior, according to this report. In fact, it has been confirmed that the nuns leaving Philadelphia was used as a pretext to go after traditional monasteries across the board. These are the actions of wicked men, wolves in shepherd's clothing, who are trying to stamp out the traditional faith and replace it with a works-based false gospel that preaches the word of the world, not the word of God. The men behind this are, according to this report, quote, spent their entire careers closing churches and schools, and who were leaders during the Ted McCarrick issues in 2003 and after, who failed to lead us out of them while persecuting those priests who did speak out, end quote. This is the St. Gallen Club, comprised almost certainly by men of the Pastor Jimmy Martin persuasion, who want nothing to do with the historic faith and yet occupy the most important offices in the institutional church. Francis, the bishops were cut from the same cloth as, this, that, as the man that the world sees as Pope. All of them detest the cloistered life, the life of prayer and abstinence, where men and relig women religious pray and fast for not only their own salvation, but for ours as well, and for the need for the church. They are not of the right kind of religious, though. There are certain kinds of religious organizations that the Vatican, well, they absolutely love, as evidenced by this story. Headline from Regnum Christi, Pope Francis names Legionary of Christ as head of the governorate of, city, of Vatican City State. Yes, a former Legionnaire of Christ is now the governor of the Vatican City. Think about that. And if you don't know anything about the Legionaries of Christ, it was a religious order of priests founded in 1941 in Mexico by, Ma by Marcel Maciel, a man of such distinction that he made Ted McCarrick looked like a beacon of purity and charity. Before there was Ted McCarrick in the consciousness of Catholics, there was Marcel, who had access to the popes of the pre-conciliar, the post-conciliar era, rather, and had become quite the celebrity until it all fell apart for him. His order was not only not suppressed, despite widespread Ted McCarrick-type problems within it, but it continues today, with some of their priests lecturing traditional Catholics online about how to be properly Catholic. But I will say to be clear that those priests who really just do, who do that. I'm, they're, the ones I'm thinking of, at least, are certainly not part of the whole Ted McCarrick practice. I want to be clear about that. But that group not only continues to operate, but now they thrive in the church, with its head being elevated to the office of running the day-to-day -day operations of Vatican City. That is quite the promotion, and it's absolutely unbelievable. Stories like this and this long reign of Francis has led one rather well-known Catholic journalist to ask a hard question. From the Spectator comes this opinion piece. Headline, Is the Pope a Protestant? The pontiff's leadership has been catastrophic for Catholicism. That that uh, that headline is uh, in piece by Damian Thompson, formerly of the Catholic World Report, which had at one time been a Catholic outlet but has sunk fully into the mire of modernism. Mr. Thompson begins by reviewing Francis's procedure that delayed Traditionis Custodis and put him in the care of bone saws and their like, and rumors swirled that he was on his way to meet his maker. I do distinctly recall at that time comments from viewers openly hoping that it would happen. Mr. Thompson seemed to have noticed it as well. After describing that situation in Francis's physical life, we get this, where he asks how many people would want Francis's time on this earth to suddenly come to an end. Quote, the answer is more than the general public realizes. A few of them put it into words, and most of them say something along the lines of, it might not be a bad thing if this Jesuit pope were gathered to his heavenly reward. But others let it rip. I remember a recent lunch with two priests, one of whom used the heavenly reward formula. The other said, 
what makes you think it would be heavenly? The second priests belong to the much smaller number of Catholics. Interestingly, they are disproportionately clergy who loathe the Pope so much that they don't much care how this pontificate ends so much as it happens soon. Since the 2nd century AD, the church has been likened to a ship, the Bark of Peter, that the Pope steers towards the, Pope, the port of salvation. This priest, in common with tens of thousands of traditionally-minded Catholics, including some cardinals, believes Francis is driving that ship towards the same rocks that have shipwrecked contemporary Protestantism, and not through innocent naivety, but with a mad, self-destructive gleam in his eye. This hypothesis of a plot is made more plausible by the erratic and sometimes vengeful behavior of the Pope. From the moment he stepped onto the balcony of St. Peter's after his elevation, minus a traditional gold-embroidered papal stole, Jorge Mario Bergoglio has played the role of a self-effacing reformer, humble yet determined. But it isn't always a believable act. The world's media, always suspicious of his predecessor, Benedict XVI, who resigned after being crushed by the culture of corruption he inherited, gave him an ecstatic welcome. Few journalists paid attention to the puzzled reaction of Argentinian Catholics, who were familiar with the new pope's strange leadership style. They had seen little evidence of easygoing charm when Francis was Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires, and before that, Provincial Superior of the Jesuits in Argentina. Bergoglio's manner is notoriously abrasive. In Buenos Aires, he sent out confusing signals. On the one hand, he increased the presence of the church in the slums, had no appetite for luxury, and cultivated his image as a man of the people by using salty language. On the other, he was often in a bad mood. In photographs of the time, he appears frighteningly hatchet-faced and had a reputation for traveling to Rome to undermine his Episcopal rivals. End quote. And that man is the man the world sees as Pope. Mr. Thompson goes on to describe the sweeping force of secularization of Christianity, focusing on Protestantism mostly. That effect tends to make Protestants walk away from their faith, according to his research. While in the church, that force turns Catholics Protestant. You can see then what happens there. His point is that Francis appears to be just such a force within the church, and asks if Francis is really a Protestant in all but name. And I'm glad someone else with some credentials is noticing this, because at this point, it's something that has to be asked. This hatred of traditional religious orders is a hallmark of Protestantism, of classic Protestantism, and especially this attitude against the cloistered life of prayer and fasting. It rubs up against the so-called Protestant work ethic. And this brings us up to the turning of the Catholic Church into the Church of Henry VIII, the Church of England, by Francis through his synods. See how this all fits together? Pay attention here. Quote, but there is one respect in which Francis's embrace of contemporary Protestant ideas is consistent. He loves his pointless synods. This month he launched the first phrase of the ludicrously named Synod on Citadality, a planetary consultation on vague concepts such as communion, mission, structural change, and listening. It has been greeted by yawns from local churches. The Vatican analyst, Father Raymond D'Souza, predicts that this consultation with the entire holy people of God will end up as a consultation with lay ecclesial bureaucrats in wealthy countries augmented by various official councils at the parochial and diocesan level. That is an almost precise description of the route taken by mainline Protestant denominations as they headed towards their respective cliffs. Pope Francis is presiding over the Anglicanization of the Catholic Church, the ever-increasing concentration of power in the hands of a bureaucracy that sucks the life out of an already struggling parishes. Whether the Vatican has enough money to pay for the self-indulgent exercise remains to be seen. End quote. So is Francis truly a devotee of Martin Luther and Henry VIII? Amoris Laetitia is the document Henry VIII would have needed, or at least would have used to pursue the course he did, but in this case he would have stayed in the church. But in our time, Francis doesn't seem to care if people flee the church or if they ever enter at all. Hence the question that it is refreshing to see more mainstream figures than I ask, is Francis a Protestant? 
To that, I'd say, probably not, because I trust the typical Protestant in their profession of Christ more than I do Francis. And I say that with the full skepticism, by the way, about that Christ that they profess that figures like St. John Vianney and other Reformation and post-Reformation era saints did as well. I take my cues from them on that topic. They all worked tirelessly for Protestants to reconnect and rejoin the Catholic Church. But I trust them more than I do Francis, which puts me on the fringes, I guess. But let me know what you think about all of this in the comments, please. Is the suppression of these women religious part of a project to turn the Catholic Church into the Anglican Communion, but with valid orders? Will it have the same disastrous effect? Let me know in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.